Good Friday is a celebration, but it's also a recognition that the most sinful act by mankind was committed on that day, and at the same time, the most loving act by God was demonstrated all in one act, all in one day. So from the perspective of God, from his vantage point, it's a great sacrifice for him to think about what he sacrificed, his son. He said it multiple times. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. He loved his son. Loved his son deeply. From man's perspective, he wasn't offered up as God reveals in Scripture. Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I can take it up again. So from God's perspective, it was laid down. But from man's perspective, it was taken. Scripture reveals that he was killed. Multiple times in the New Testament, it says that man killed Jesus. But from God's perspective, he wasn't killed. He gave his life. And so we celebrate this day, but it's, we recognize it's the heinous crime of, of sacrificing the Son of God, God in human flesh. There's nothing in the history of mankind that's been more wicked than that. Not 9-11, not the Holocaust, not the collective wickedness that we see in this world today. Nothing comes close to taking God himself and mistreating him the way that he was mistreated. Never sinned. All he ever did was good. All he ever did was to serve. He he said, "I, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. He said, at some point, which of you convicts me of sin? He was completely innocent. And yet mankind did that to him. And it wasn't just the Romans. It wasn't just the Pharisees. It was the people crying, crucify him, crucify him. It was our sin that put him on that cross. It was the sin of mankind. So why? Why did God choose this salvation to come through his son's death? Because it was a choice. It was ordained. It's not as if all these events kind of got out of control and God meant something else to happen, but it just kind of got out of control and careened into this whole other thing that happened to, to Jesus. And this world teaches that, that this is, that wasn't a purposeful, predicted thing. But we're told in Scripture, and I'll read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Then we're told in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, this, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life, of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So it wasn't by accident, very purposeful. So what, why was this part of God's plan? Again, why did this have to happen? And really it comes down to, and if you're new to the Bible, this will maybe help you understand why Jesus had to die. And it's all capsulated in one word, and that word is righteousness. Righteousness. God is 100% righteous and holy. It's against his nature to be anything other than those things. He, and this is bad English, if you English teachers out there. 
He cannot not be 100% who he is, and part of that includes being holy. Man is not. (laughs) Can anyone say amen to that? Man is not. We are not holy. Jesus said, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You being evil. We're not basically good with the few sinful things that get thrown in. We are wicked. We are sinful. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing to the disciples. We are sinful. And God set up a sacrificial system, the Jewish priesthood. After some time, he set that up under Moses, inspired by the Lord, to cover sins. That's what the word atonement means in the Old Testament. To cover sins one year at a time, kind of rolling sins ahead one year, and then they'd have to do it all over again. The high priest would have to make sacrifices and then for himself. Then he would go in, and after sacrifices were made, he would spring, uh, sprinkle blood on the altar there, and that would satisfy God's wrath for that time. But those sacrifices could never take away sins. That's the New Testament definition of atonement, to take away sins. They could never completely take away sins out of the way. So that means justice could not be satisfied, and God is a just God. He cannot not be just. He's 100% just. All his attributes, he's the most that anybody could be. He's immutable. He can't change. And he's the most of all of those things. That all the things that we know about him from scripture, he's the max, so to speak, of, of what any being can, can be. So it's impossible for him to let, to not be just. And scriptures declare that the wrath that mankind deserved had to be placed on Jesus on the cross. Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed to the Father with, and he, and he had, as it were, great drops of blood, sweating, coming down. And he had, was so full of agony. We saw that when we went through the, through the Gospels. And he said, if there be any other way, Father, let this cup pass. And there was silence. There was no other way. Anytime that we uh, accept the, the rhetoric that there's another way, it's blasphemy. Because if God wanted to make multiple ways, he could have done that. But he chose not to do it. He chose one way. He gets the right to do that. He gets the right. And the right, the, what's, what's required to get into heaven is righteousness. Perfect, flawless righteousness. But Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So all of us fall short of that standard because the standard is perfection. But God didn't leave us in that condition. He came and he died in our place. And he took the wrath that we deserved on that cross. And he was cursed. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 tells us this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that brings us to Romans chapter 5. I want to start reading in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, 
but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now these are the verses I want to look at, verses 6 through 10, briefly. And we're told this in verse 6, For when we were still without strength, still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. We didn't have any strength at all. We didn't have any capacity to be spiritually strong whatsoever. We are completely weak because the scripture teaches that we were dead in trespasses and sins. Before you come to know Christ, you are spiritually dead. I love how the world loves to talk about their spirituality and how connected they are to God, but yet they haven't come the way that God has prescribed through the cross, through Jesus. They haven't repented. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, For those who received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. So they haven't received him, so they don't have any right to become children of God. They claim to have this great spiritual depth and maturity and the scriptures say you're spiritually dead i love the clarity of god's word god doesn't apologize for his word he just says what he says he means what he says he said it that settles it period that's how i i I totally agreement in agreement with what his word says why we're still without strength in due time notice that word time there in due time christ died for the ungodly that's the word that's translated opportunity in other places. And it's a very specific time. It's not chronos, which is the sequence of events, like we think, you know, chronology. It's actually another word that means an opportunity or a very specific time that's very strategic. In due time, and in Galatians we're told, in the fullness of time, using the same word, Christ died for us. So in due time, Christ died Last Sunday, we talked about Palm Sunday, it being Palm Sunday, not during the main part of the service or whatever, but we mentioned it was Palm Sunday, which, which he fulfilled Daniel's prophecy about when it was pronounced that, that the Jerusalem would be, the, the, the temple would be rebuilt and the wall and everything like that. There was going to be 483 years that had to transpire after that point. And on that time, it says the Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. That day was Palm Sunday. To the day, it fulfilled that. And he was going to die on the Passover. So it was a perfect, a 100% flawless to the day chronological event that, that happened on Good Friday. Verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I want to call your attention to the word demonstrates there. I want you to see that it's in the present tense. God demonstrates. Present tense. Right now. (laughs) He demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died died for us. His love is being demonstrated by the historical fact and reality that he died on the cross for mankind in an ongoing way. He demonstrates it every single day toward us. And in our lives, in our Christian walk, we're called to have 
a response-based love relationship with Jesus. We don't have a legal relationship with Jesus. We do because God has laid out how he's done it all legally in his economy and all of that. But in the sense of our experience and how we relate to God, it's supposed to be a love-based relationship that's response in, its, in, in how, we, how we interact with him. You know, in John, John the Apostle wrote, we love him because he first loved us. So legalism is saying everything starts with me and I do everything that I do as a Christian to try to get him to love me, to try to get him to accept me, to try to get him to use me in service, to try to get him to bless me, to try to get him to like me. All these things, that's a legal-based relationship. That's not a love-based relationship, a response-based relationship. And that's something that over time, as we grow in our walk with Christ, becomes more and more of a revelation, and we're, we're set free to be free in Christ because we are not in, insecure about our relationship with him. We don't have that barrier of thinking that every moment I fail him, which we do every day because the standard is still perfection, that now somehow he doesn't love me as much, he doesn't accept me as much, and all those things, all of those things are not true. Because in our verse here, we're told that when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his own love toward us. While we were still yet sinners, he died for us. So if he did that for us when we were still sinners, then how is he going to accept us and how is he going to be for us as New Testament disciples of his? He wants us so confident and secure in our relationship with him that we will come boldly to him when we fail. Instead of going away from him and falling away from him when we fail, we fall towards him when we fail. When our children, if we have children, when our children fall short, we don't want them when they fail to stay away from us. We want them to come toward us when they fail because they know that our love for them is unconditional And that no matter what we're for, no matter how much they mess up, we're still for them. We want them to have that confidence. And when they don't have that confidence, it breaks our hearts and it hurts us. How much more with God, who's infinitely more loving than we are toward us, than we are towards our children. So he wants that confidence. He wants us to have a reactionary relationship to him in the sense of looking back at the cross. Looking at our inheritance that we have in Christ looking at all the blessings in Christ that we have and have that be the motivation to say, he has held nothing back from me. He has been so loving towards me. He has supplied all of my needs according to his riches and glory. He's been faithful when I haven't been faithful. He's given me his spirit. He's given me the church. He's given me spiritual gifts. He's given me promises. He's given me forgiveness. He's given me heaven. He's, I mean, just, you thought of everything. I mean, try to think of something he didn't think of. And in light of all of that, now I'm going to live my life for, in obedience to him because of he, he already showed his love for me. That's what he calls each of us to. Now he gets more specific about what his blood did for us in verse 9. He says, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. The word justified means acquitted. When we see these trials on TV and someone gets acquitted, They're off the hook. We can say, oh, they got off the hook. 
When you, when you were supposed to get in trouble as a kid and somehow your parents didn't punish you, that happened way too much for me. Um, you know, you, you man, I got, your, your sibling's mad. can't believe you got away with that. I never get away with it when I do that. You, you were completely got off the hook on that one. You could say, your sibling could say to you, you were justified because you were acquitted. So we have been justified or acquitted of all of our guilt, all the, all the things that we're guilty of, by, look, by what? Look at, look at the middle of verse 9. By his blood. So we're celebrating today, Good Friday, where he shed his blood, and he shed that blood so that we could be acquitted of our crimes, of our sinful crimes, even the things that we haven't committed yet. I love to bring it up as much as I can, because I need to hear it, that he died for sins that we haven't even committed yet. That's how sufficient that cross is. That's why he could say on that cross, it is finished. Not it is finished up to the point that you receive me and you're about five years into your walk and then everything past that point I haven't died for and you're going to have to kind of make up for it and show me that you're really a good Christian and then I'll have favor. All this stuff we come up with in our minds, in our hearts. It's not biblical at all. He, and he's, what he's saying here in verse 9 is, if he did all of that while we were sinners and he acquitted us by his blood, we shall be, how much more shall we be saved from wrath through him? We're told in scripture we're not appointed unto wrath. This is talking about eternal punishment. It's, I believe, is also, generally speaking, also for the people that are alive during the Great Tribulation and all of those things. But more specifically, it's talking about be saved. Not, it's not talking about salvation in the sense of when you receive Christ. He's talking about deliver. The word that's translated saved is used in many different ways. Sometimes it's forgiven. Sometimes it's used to, uh, for he, the word heal is used to translate it. Sometimes it's physical deliverance. When they said to Jesus on the cross, he saved others, let him save himself. Same word. He delivered others, let him deliver himself. And he couldn't do that because he didn't still save mankind. So he's given us confidence. If he did all that while we were still sinners, then how much more is he going to, as Christians and as his disciples, is he going to deliver us from future wrath that's coming upon this world and also those that die without a relationship with Christ? Verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And that's what we were, reconciled. Reconciled is a relationship word. When people are against each other and you're working as a peacemaker to try to bring people and have them stop fighting, you're working towards reconciliation. That shows that there's an enmity, there's a, there's a problem relationship-wise between us and God and through Christ and what he did for us and us appropriating that sacrifice and receiving him. Now we're reconciled in that relationship to God through the death of his son. Much more been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So if we've been reconciled through his death, we're going to be reconciled and saved, deliberately, physically delivered from this world to heaven by his resurrection. And we'll get into that on Sunday. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your great sacrifice. We thank you for, we just can't believe that we get to be the recipients and objects of your love, that you have so, so made so clear that we we are the recipients of lord we are so grateful lord so now as we discern your body we discern your blood we ask god that you would continue to 
Help us to be able to worship you and minister to us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.